The political left applauds as fascism arrives in America wearing a smiley face and a beard. Christianity is becoming a house divided thanks to politics invading the pulpit and the gospel of Jesus Christ holds the answers. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the Joyful Stoic Podcast, bringing the gospel message to the modern world. I am your host, Eric Rouse, and on today's episode, I am going to discuss how the gospel message solves so many of our modern problems. But before I do that, in my previous podcast, I stated that things were going to get worse for Christians in America before they got better. However, I did not realize that things would get so bad in just a couple of weeks. Terrible things have happened in this country politically and socially, but to me the worst thing is that fascism has arrived to a most welcome reception in America. Now, back in September of 2005, a famous comedian and atheist by the name of George Carlin appeared on Bill Maher's HBO program, Real Time. On that program, he made what was almost a prophetic statement. He stated that if and when fascism came to America, it would not come in jackboots and brown shirts, but it would arrive in Nike sneakers and a smiley face shirt. In other words, he argued that if and when fascism shows up in America, it will arrive seeming cool and amicable. So that brings me to Jack Dorsey and the purge of social media. But before I talk about that, I want to be very careful and define my terms. Fascism is a word that gets thrown around an awful lot in today's society, along with the term Nazi. And quite frankly, I'm sick of both of them. But since these are words that are often used by the political left as a cudgel against their opponents be they Republicans or Evangelicals, they should know what they mean. Today, I am going to use Bill Maher's definition of fascism as he is seen as an intellectual of the left and has used these words many times. Bill Maher's definition of fascism, which he actually gave during that same interview he had with George Carlin, and George Carlin agreed that it was the proper definition, Bill Maher's definition of fascism is that the corporations become the government. Well, as it stands, there are no more powerful corporations in this world than Twitter, Facebook, and Amazon. And they just started ruling over us. Twitter, under the auspices of its CEO, Jack Dorsey, has recently come out and established a permanent ban on President Trump's Twitter account, removing his voice from that portion of society. Then, almost as if these tech giants had planned this for a while, Facebook established what is likely a permanent ban on Trump. And Amazon suddenly acted unilaterally to shut down Twitter's largest competitor, Parler, removing it from Amazon Web Services. You can't access it anymore. They did all of this in a matter of hours suddenly purging Twitter of its greatest competitor and silencing one of big tech's most flawed but also most vocal critics. Since all of this has occurred, the great beard, a.k.a. Jack Dorsey, has come out and essentially said, well, I am so sorry that it came to all of this, but 
in essence, the president forced us to do this by his violent rhetoric and his incitements to violence. Essentially, what he really said is what an abusive husband says to his wife after he beats her. I'm so sorry, it will never happen again, but you just drive me crazy! And I personally have found his explanation to be quite weak. I am also highly suspicious that collusion took place between these social media agencies as Twitter's largest competitor got shut down right after his organization silenced Trump. The folks on the political left and the mainstream media are just clapping like trained seals over this. Evidence of this lies in an article by the Fort Worth Star-Telegram entitled Funniest Reactions to Twitter Banning Trump, in which the author, Stephen Stevenson, collected a group of tweets, some from regular folks on Twitter and others from famous Trump critics, which simply trolled the president for getting banned from Twitter. Now, I'm not defending Trump's rhetoric during his address to protesters in D.C., he did something which I consider to be immoral, but not illegal, by increasing tensions between his supporters and the folks on Capitol Hill. However, this is not the first time I have witnessed politicians utilizing unwise and heated rhetoric. Back in 2008, then-candidate Barack Obama told his supporters regarding his political opponents that if they bring a knife to a fight, we bring a gun. According to an article in Newsweek published back in May of 2017, Senator Bernie Sanders accused congressmen and senators who supported a Republican health care bill of wanting to kill sick people. And then in June of the same year, a Sanders supporter attempted to kill several Republican congressmen and shot Congressman Steve Scalise, nearly killing him. Sanders' rhetoric also increased the tensions between his supporters and his opponents on Capitol, Capitol Hill. But as unwise as all of their words were, none of them called openly for violence. Now, I am not a lawyer by trade. But it seems to me that all the things President Trump said in his address to his supporters rose to a similar level as the careless rhetoric of Bernie Sanders and President Barack Obama. All of their rhetoric was morally wrong, but none of it was illegal, as none of them directly called for violence, which is the legal standard for incitement. The Supreme Court of the United States has ruled on many free speech issues, including what constitutes as incitement of violence. And this was largely decided in the Brandenburg case. In the case Brandenburg versus Ohio, the court ruled that an advocate must be free to stimulate his audience with spontaneous and emotional appeals for unity and action in a common cause. When such appeals do not incite lawless action, they must be regarded as protected speech. So, in my opinion, the president's rhetoric did not rise to the level of incitement. I could be wrong. But when I look at the definitions of the terms that matter in this particular case of the Capitol Hill riot, 
I do not see a direct appeal on the part of President Trump to promote an illegal action or to make it imminent. So why did Twitter, Facebook, and Amazon act so quickly against the president and against Parler? The honest answer is the tech companies have been looking for a reason to do this for a long time. Every free speech advocate saw this coming the moment Twitter started censoring political speech on its website. They even silenced feminist Megan Murphy, who is on the political left, who tweeted such hateful and bigoted things, such as a man is not a woman. This is from an article published in The Hill back in December of 2018. Journalist Megan Murphy said in an interview that Twitter's practice of banning users for remarks it deems offensive is a dangerous precedent after she was banned from the platform last month. I don't want to draw a line that ends up silencing people who have political ideas, or who are talking about ideologies, or who are challenging popular discourse that has been deemed offensive. Murphy, founder and editor of the website Feminist Current, told Hill TV's Crystal Ball on Wednesday, Now we're banned, we're silenced, and I actually think it's quite dangerous. And the fact of the matter is, everyone should have left Twitter the moment they started doing stuff like this. These were their test cases, designed to see how the public would react to them. And the fact is, we failed that test, and now we have corporations deciding what free speech really is. These companies are now governing our freedom of speech and expression, which is something the federal government does not have the power to do. If you don't believe me, let's take a look at the First Amendment. It clearly states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech. In other words, read that as, Congress shall make no law that abridges the freedom of speech. So, the tech giants have found a way to assume power in our society that does not even belong to our federal government. And sadly, many of us are going along with it because Twitter, Amazon, and Facebook are cool services who have spokesmen and women saying that they just want to make the world a better place, and they have products that just about everyone likes to use. So truly, fascism has arrived in America, according to the definition given by Bill Maher, and the political left is thrilled with it because it happens to benefit them for now. However, they are laying the foundations for a society that is unstable and in which no one will feel secure in being able to express themselves, which is not very different from the way citizens in Nazi Germany and communist Russia must have felt. But unfortunately, it is not just our politics that are becoming more divided in this country. These political divisions have infiltrated other cultural institutions, and the Christian church is becoming more divided as well. Christianity in America finds itself in a strange state right now. Many churches are losing attendance, and there is a growing feeling, even amongst the faithful, that Christianity is no longer seen as relevant in today's society. Because 
many Christians feel this way. I believe there are ministers, pastors, and priests who have decided to let their political views affect their religious doctrine in an effort to make their churches relevant. They have politicized their pulpits, and they are no longer telling the world about the gospel message, but are preaching a message that our materialistic culture demands. These ministers mislead their flocks, confuse fellow Christians, and are used by the world to further a secular agenda. And one of the reasons I am discussing this today is because of who my father is. My father has been a minister of the gospel for nearly 50 years now. He has been one of the most selfless and compassionate people I have ever known in my entire life. He wishes harm on absolutely no person of any race, color, creed, sex, whatever you, whatever you can think of to divide up a person in their identity. He doesn't want anything bad for anyone. And yet, he finds himself in a position where if he were to speak out on his political views, he would get in trouble for it. While there are other Christian ministers who politicize their pulpits and are rewarded for it. Besides my father's ministry, I am also talking about these divisions in the House of Christianity because as we come to the end of the Trump presidency, many evangelicals are nervous. Many religious Christians have viewed President Trump as a finger in the dike holding back the coming flood or tidal wave of anti-Christian, anti-religious rhetoric and policy that has come from the progressive left over the last decade. In 2012, during the Democratic National Convention, the party held a vote as to whether or not they wanted to include the word God in their party platform, and the majority of those voting on the floor of the convention by acclamation voted no three times. I was not present for this vote. However, video from it clearly makes it sound like the nays out-exclaimed the yays. Another example of anti-religious rhetoric from the left includes Beto O'Rourke, a.k.a. Robert Francis O'Rourke, who stated during a Democratic presidential primary debate that if churches did not adhere to his definition of marriage, then he would act as president to strip churches of their ta tax-exempt status to reams of applause from the audience. Now, just to be clear, if you take away a church's tax exemption, you have very likely just bankrupted that church. And now, President-elect Joe Biden, whom the mainstream media regards as a practicing Catholic, has stated that he will bring the Little Sisters of the Poor, a charitable group of Catholic nuns, back into court in an effort to force them to pay for contraception under Obamacare mandates. So, there are plenty of legitimate reasons for evangelicals and Orthodox Catholics to be nervous about the future of their political rights in this country. And there are some Christians on the political left who are only too anxious to see this persecution begin. I have seen, quote-unquote, Christian folks on Twitter harshly judging their fellow Christians as terrible bigots 
for ever having supported Trump. These folks will tweet things like evangelicals are simply being small-minded, hateful, and going against the message of Christ. They will do this in large part because of Christian ministers, pastors, and priests who have led their congregations down the progressive path. And this brings me to the recently elected senator from Georgia, Raphael Warnock. I am choosing to focus on Senator-elect Warnock because he is typical of this cultural trend affecting our churches. I want to make clear that I am not judging Pastor Warnock harshly, because that is not my place, that simply belongs to God. In my previous episode, I discussed a portion of Matthew chapter 7, which spoke of false prophets and knowing them by their fruits. I then went on to discuss the fruits of the modern-day philosophy of materialism. Today, I am going to briefly discuss the materialist message that Raphael Warnock gives his flock at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. Before I do that, I would like to read what Christ says about false prophets in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, Senator-elect Warnock is the senior pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, which has the proud legacy of being Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s church home at one time. And Warnock has used this platform to push a political agenda. I will not focus on all of the ways in which I disagree with Pastor Warnock, He has spoken from his pulpit in favor of communism and socialism, he speaks in favor of abortion, and openly engages in moral relativism. He has degraded the truth of the gospel by insisting on preaching his version of the truth. And that is where I am going to focus my attention today. About two days after Fidel Castro, the communist dictator of Cuba, passed away, Pastor Warnock addressed his church, and during his sermon that day, he prayed for the people of Cuba. And during that prayer, he said, We remember Fidel Castro, whose legacy is complex. Don't let anybody tell you a simple story, Warnock told parishioners. Life usually isn't very simple. His legacy is complex. Kind of like America's legacy is complex. Warnock then went on to compare America's current criminal justice system to communist Cuba's history of taking political prisoners. I have been wrong many times in my life, but I have never heard of our current criminal justice system executing blacks in cold blood by the thousands, but I know that murderous events like that took place to political dissidents throughout the course of Castro's regime in Cuba. So, at the very least, Senator-elect Warnock has a tenuous relationship with the truth. Another way in which 
Pastor Warnock, demonstrates a complex relationship with the truth is he continues to perpetuate a modern-day myth. The myth of Michael Brown's murder. On August 10, 2020, Pastor Warnock tweeted this, George Floyd, Rayshard Brooks, Elijah McLean, Breonna Taylor, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, and so many other black victims of senseless police brutality. We must protect our communities and ensure that justice is served. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. For those of you who may not recall, Michael Brown was shot and killed by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. And initial reports stated that he was shot in the back while he had his hands in the air saying, hands up, don't shoot which would have been an obvious case of a terrible action by a racist officer. Well, as local, state, and federal authorities investigated, they learned through eyewitness accounts, and many of these eyewitness, eyewitnesses were other African Americans, that Michael had attacked the police officer for trying to talk to him after he had just committed a robbery at a nearby convenience store. While he and the officer were fighting one another, Michael tried to take the officer's gun several times. Eventually, the officer was able to fight off Michael and drew his weapon on him. Michael was not deterred and tried to charge the officer while he had his weapon drawn and had instructed him to stop. He continued to come at the officer, who then opened fire and killed him. Now, this incident was terrible and tragic because it was avoidable. However, it was not a case of police brutality, not in the least. This is not just my opinion. The Obama administration's Department of Justice investigated this shooting seven ways from Sunday, concluding back in 2015 that the officer in question was being attacked by Brown and he had to use his weapon in an act of self-defense to stop the attack. Now, that is the truth of this case. Raphael Warnock is a pastor of his flock at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and he has an absolute duty to tell the truth. He is a smart man. He holds a Ph.D. in systematic theology, so he is more than capable of doing the research necessary to determine what the truth is in the case of Michael Brown. I was able to find it all in one Google search. However, he has not shown any interest in doing so, and he disseminates myths like these on a regular basis because he has allowed his politics to affect his theology. He is a moral relativist who is able to abuse and politicize the pulpit given to him without consequence. And he is not the only church leader who has done this. Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, and Father Michael Flager are other examples of politically compromised pastors and priests. These church leaders denigrate the gospel message of Christ by politicizing it. They take the message of our Lord and Savior that is meant to reach the whole world they distort it and narrow it down to an audience they hope to impress and influence. Many of these false prophets have made a great deal of money telling African Americans that they are the victims of a nation that is systemically racist. 
They do not preach a gospel of forgiveness and mercy. They preach a gospel of social justice, which at the end of the day is simply another word for vengeance. And the gospel of social justice is coming to fruition right now, not just in the rhetoric of these false prophets, but also in their complicity in the rise of fascism happening in America today that is going to oppress men and women whom these ministers should look at as their brothers and sisters in Christ. However, as it stands, neither Senator-elect Warnock or any of these other wolves in sheep's clothing have said a word to defend us. By their fruits you will know them. If they would simply preach the gospel and live it, they would all be such great crusaders for Jesus Christ. There is no telling how much good could come from them if they would simply do this. Imagine a world in which we all look at one another as brothers and sisters, in which we are not encouraged to take vengeance on our enemies, but commanded to forgive them and to love one another as we love ourselves. Guys, that is our way out of this mess. If we truly want to have a better world, then we need to reject fascism and materialism in their entirety, and we need to embrace the good news that our Lord and Savior provides. I submit to you that President-elect Joe Biden could end so much of our political anxiety and hand-wringing if he would just live the gospel he claims to believe in. If he would come out tomorrow and simply tell his party to end the impeachment of Donald Trump, he would end so much tension and truly show that he hopes to unite this divided nation. If you would, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we have made such a mess of things in this world today. We continue to find ways to divide ourselves against one another. When your Son commanded us to love one another, and that that is how this world would recognize us by the way we love and treat one another as Christians. And there have been many times in which we have failed to do so. I want to own up this moment and say that I haven't always done this the way that I should. God, we need you in our lives so desperately. We need your Son to come live in us and help us so that we can help mend this divided nation. You have provided us so many blessings in this country, dear Lord, and we have been more than willing to accept them, but we haven't necessarily been as willing as we should be to utilize them to benefit those less well off than us. God, we need forgiveness not just your forgiveness, but we need forgiveness in our society. We need a country in which people can make mistakes and be forgiven for them. If we continue down this path, 
I am terribly afraid that this is going to turn into a bloodbath, dear God. Please, guide us away from this mess. Come into our hearts, help us to know your will, and to do it so that we can unite, not just in this nation, but as a Christian brotherhood. Lord, you don't care whether conservatives, liberals, libertarians, independents, you don't care about those delineations that we've made upon one another. You want all of us to get to heaven. And please help us to have the, the mentality to help make that happen. To help reach out to every single one of these groups and not be divided because of our differences any longer. I pray all of these things in your son's precious name. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Stoic, please consider subscribing to this podcast. Also, if you can think of anyone who may benefit from these podcasts, please feel free to share them with a friend. God bless.